everybody. How you doing? Happy New Year. And thanks for joining me. Here we've got another episode of the John Riley Project. This is our first episode of 2022. Hey, thanks for joining us. You know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And boy, we've got a really good show in store for you today. We're going to be talking about some of the top stories in 2021 here in the Poway Rancho Bernardo area, kind of this North County inland area of San Diego County. We'll kind of review some of those top stories in our community. I got a bunch of shout outs, you know, to some people here locally in the Poway RB area, but also some of people in greater San Diego that I think are doing special things. We'll talk a little bit about them. Then, um, hey, Tony Russo joining us on the live stream. Tony, how you doing? Happy New Year to you. Um, we're also going to get into a kind of an adventure my family was on for the holiday season. I don't know what you were up to, but we traveled internationally and had to deal with a lot of COVID testing. So I'm going to share kind of what our experience was like, because, you know, with all the COVID news, there's a lot going on. And I want to share with you what we experienced. And plus, I'll give you some highlights. We were in the UK. So we were in England and in Scotland. It was just an unbelievable trip. But I'll share some of the details. But to keep it sort of you know, relevant to the news, I'm going to kind of spend a little more time on the COVID testing because it was kind of, it was, it was something, it was kind of a, a bureaucratic nightmare, but we'll get into that. Um, and then finally, if we have time, um, we're going to go over some of the new laws in 2022. There's some good ones, some weird ones. We'll maybe offer some commentary on that. So that's our game plan for today. So again, how, how y'all doing? You getting started here on the new year? Um, this is week number one of 2022. So uh, we're going into, you know, we're wrapping up our second uh, full year of this COVID crisis. And Omicron is a big thing right now. And the, the positivity rates for COVID or something. I mean, it's a crazy time. I mean, it's a, it's a great time to be alive. I mean, it's funny. I was talking to one of my friends and we were saying, is there a period in time? If you look at the whole history of, of human of humans on the planet earth. Is there a time that you would prefer to be alive rather than today? You know, a time in the past when maybe it was a more, a better time to be alive. I think the answer is pretty clear, right? Today, right now is the best time to be alive. Even with all of the craziness that swirls around in our world, you know, we have a better quality of life, longer life expectancy, better innovations, better technology, and ultimately a better existence on this planet, even despite a lot of the insanity that seems to surround us all the time. So anyways, happy new year to y'all. And uh, let's, um, I want to go through, you know, because we'd like to cover local issues in this podcast. And, you know, you get your news, you can watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox or wherever you get your news, you get your good national news. I don't dwell on national news too much. Because we need more local content here. So I like to talk about San Diego stories and particularly those in the area where I live, you know, like this North County inland, the I-15 corridor. Jamie Tobit joining us on the live stream. Jamie, how you doing? Jamie, I love the stuff that you post on Facebook, even though you were kind of beating yourself up for sharing too much. Uh, love the stuff that you're doing. Tony, another great Facebook poster sharing his adventures with his family and children as he passes through our community. So well, welcome, y'all. Happy New Year to everybody. Um, 
Tony wants to set a date for a show to announce the news. The news. I think Tony probably running for city council again. If that's the case, we'll definitely schedule you. So um, let's find a way to connect online and we'll see if we can book you a, uh, a podcast episode for you. Okay, so I like to cover the local news here in my area. And I was going to do a 2021 review last month, but and I ended up going away on vacation because I wasn't sure if I was going to go because of all the COVID nonsense, which we'll get into in a minute. But our local, you know, journalists, the Poway News Chief and Rancho Bernardo Journal, they're all part of the Pomerado News Group. They put out a list of the top 2021 stories of um, of the year in our community, and there were six of them. And um, is it six? One, two, three, four. Actually, excuse me. There's five of them. And, you know, we've covered a lot of these in the podcast. And I'm really happy about that because that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So, again, we welcome your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type them in on the live stream. And good. Tony, you'll get back to me. Great. I'm glad to hear that. But the one of the uh, the top issues here in Poway was the synagogue shooter um, getting a second life sentence in federal court. And granted, I'm not going to say his name. Frankly, I don't even remember his name, but we went through that. That When did that happen? That happened in, was it in 2019, I think, right? When the Poway synagogue shooting at the Poway Habab went down, Habad went and went down. And I know I commented extensively on, on that incident right after it happened. Um, and which led to a lot of really interesting conversations in the podcast. Um, and we, we kind of, you know, it's funny, uh, the people you meet and the things that happen in this podcast. Uh, I, after commenting on the Poway Habad shooting, which was obviously a hate crime, which was, you know, essentially uh, the hate of Jewish people kind of got into a conversation about identity politics and, um, you know, sort of uh, classes by race, by religion, you know, all these sort of identity politic categories, which led me to meet a really amazing local guy here in Poway, Matthew B. Mitchell. Uh, Matt, Mitt, Matt Mitchell and I, we had a great conversation um, about uh, racial issues, particularly from the perspective of, of a black person living here in Poway, uh, living in greater San Diego. And Matt's gone on to put on his own podcast, again, really exploring a lot of issues around race. Uh, so what a, and it's just a kind of a cool way of, I've met so many really cool people through this podcast. Well, anyways, um, you know, he, the Poway synagogue shooter got a second life sentence and, you know, it, the cra- you know what's crazy about this whole thing is, you know, I live in the city of Poway, which here locally in San Diego, most people, I think, generally have a positive impact of a positive impression of Poway. You know, it's a nice suburban community. We have good schools, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll tell you what, we, Poway's been in the news a lot for really negative reasons over the last decade or so. I mean, there's been the Poway Habad shooting, which was national news. Um, and, you know, you hear, you know, Poway is one of those cities that's listed for mass shootings. Um, it's terrible. You know, we had the Poway Unified School Board or School District billion dollar bond that put Poway 
on the national news again for, you know, borrowing a hundred million dollars for schools and paying back roughly a billion dollars, total abuse of taxpayer dollars. Um, what else we had locally, we had the Poway water crisis where, you know, we, we had to have a boil water ordinance and restaurants had to be shut down. It was just, a, that was insane. That was a couple of years ago. We've got all these political protesters that are here in Poway. There's a recent piece of news. I'm going to get into this in a minute or down the road when we talk about the 2022 uh, new laws. But there was a Poway, Powegian that was up in Orange County at a COVID um, uh, vaccination site. And he was one of those crazy anti-vaxxers. But not just simply being anti-vaxxer, but this guy was mentally disturbed and he attacked people at a vaccination clinic, which was incredible. But again, another guy from Poway. So that's sort of the sad part of this is, is that, um, you know, obviously a loss of life in the Poway Habad shooting and race, or excuse me, a hate crime. And it's just an awful incident. Um, but it, it's just it's just sad. I mean, it just really is. And so, you know, there, that was one of the top stories: the um, the Habad, the Poway Habad shooter um, getting another life sentence. The, the second one for 2021, which we've covered extensively on this podcast, is about the development in Poway and about how there has been a transformation of, along a significant portion of Poway Road as more housing is being put in. And we're seeing that also up in North Poway with the farm that's going in at the site of the old Stone Ridge Country Club. This has been a hot topic all through 2021. And even prior to that, it was a hot topic when I was interviewing candidates for Poway City Council in the 2021 uh, races, as excuse me, in the 2018 races, as well as in 2020. But a lot's still going on, right? You know, they've already now started. There's now three projects that are underway, right? There's the out the outpost, which is stalled because the, the company went bankrupt, which is a total mess. Then there's the Poway Commons, which has been, you know, ongoing throughout the year, and they've made great progress. And now the third project, the Fairfield Project, at the site of the old Poway Bowling Alley and the Poway Thrift Stores, they're finally demolishing that area. And if you've driven on Poway Road, you'll see it. I mean, they've got demo crews there and knocking down, you know, they were really old buildings. Um, and in many ways, it just made Poway look like it was still in a time warp from the 1960s or even earlier. Some of these buildings were so old. And I know for a lot of people, that's the part that they missed. This was the charm of old Poway, the, the city and the country. Um, but Poway Road was largely just a hodgepodge of, um, of kind of just degrading buildings. And it was, I, in my opinion, it's nice to see the upgrade. But so many people are upset about it because of more people, more traffic, more demands on infrastructure. And there's a lot of people also that weren't aware of what was coming, weren't paying attention to the intentions of the city council and the developers. And then suddenly they saw, they started to see demolition and then eventually construction. And for some of them, that's the first time they experienced it. And then again, more reaction. But you know what? Change is hard. And Poway is going through a change right now, a transformation and evolution. Um, and it's been difficult. 
And there was so much discussion, so much controversy around all of this new development. You know, again, I've been generally optimistic about it. Um, I think the end result is going to be way better than a lot of the pessimists believe. And I'm generally supportive of it, you know, of this new construction in Poway for a number of reasons. One is that Poway Road needed to be essentially upgraded. And they've been talking about it for decades, and now they're finally doing it. That's good. Number two, we have a housing crisis in Poway, a housing crisis in San Diego County, in California, frankly, across America. We need more housing units. That's good. They're putting those in here in Poway. That's going to be positive for um, the real estate market in our community and will have a dampening effect on new home uh, purchase as well as rental prices. I think that's good. I think that's positive. And then, I, you know, again, I'm a free market guy, a property rights guy. So if these people want to develop their land, you know, it should be their right to do it. But I know there's a lot of people that have different opinions on it. There's a lot of people that have opposed these projects from the start. There are other people that wanted to go more slowly. In fact, some of the city council candidates talked a lot about that extensively. Gentlemen like Chris Olps and Pete Neal, one of our good friends on the podcast, they wanted they weren't necessarily opposed to growth, um, you know, on an absolute basis, but they wanted to see it more. Uh, of a slower transition, you know, one project at a time. Can we finish one before we start the other kind of a a mentality? I get it. I understand it. But it was one of the top stories here. And I'm really proud that we covered that. I mean, we've had multiple podcasts talking about this, discussions with people in our community. And I love that. I mean, that's part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast is make it a community forum um, and to have this conversation, to invite guests and to have you, you know, chime in here on the live stream. You know, again, feel free to type your thoughts and comments in Facebook or in YouTube, wherever you happen to be watching this live stream, and I'll read them on the air. So the third topic was one of the top 21 stories in the Poway Rancher Bernardo area was that there is now a recall effort on the mayor of Poway, Mayor Steve Voss. Again, this was a topic we covered a lot. We've, we've been discussing this as it's been evolving. And again, bring up another gentleman's name again. Chris Olps um, led the charge to recall Poway Mayor Steve Voss. And he, they've got a long list of reasons for it. Um, they're upset with uh, the, the way city council members are appointed. They're upset with the gerrymandering of districts, the way they've done, you know, sort of drawn the lines of the districts in our community. They're upset with the development and the Poway Road specific plan and the way it's evolved. They're upset with the way the outpost pro, uh, project has imploded. Um, there's been accusations of, of Steve Voss um, that not filing proper What's the right way to say this? Proper campaign finance disclosures as it relates to his charity, uh, Carols for Candlelight, you know, the big Christmas um, holiday music festival that he's been putting on for over 20 years. Um, You know, and and some of these reasons for the recall have more merit than others. Uh, But but it's interesting that this has been ongoing. And we just saw a news report here like in the last week or so. That Chris Olps and, and that effort to get the recall petition on the ballot has roughly around a thousand signatures, but he's got to get to 
what's the right amount? Is it like 6,500, 6,600, something like that to qualify to get it on the ballot? And the clock's ticking. I think he's got to get it done by mid-February in order to qualify. And then that's, that's still a, that's a, that's a steep climb to get there. Um, you know, like like him or not, you know, Steve Voss has a lot of institutional support in this city, and it will be a major effort to oust him, especially with a recall that's just a few months away from a November 2022 election when he's going to be running again for re-election. We assume he's running for re-election. Has he announced? I don't know if he's announced or not. Yeah, Tony Russo says 6,000 plus is what they're going to need on that, that signature drive. So that's been a big story here locally. And again, I think we've done a reasonable job of covering it. I still have an, uh, an open invitation to, uh, you know, whether it's Chris Olps or any of the people that are in the uh, that are proponents for the recall to join me here and just come on board and make your case. I, I just want to hear it. You know, I'm not necessarily a, you know, I, I, I love recalls. I think recalls are great. Recalls keep politicians on their toes. They, they know that they've got to be responsive to the needs of the people. But I just want to listen, you know, and hear what, what their case is and ask a few questions. I'm not necessarily debate them, but I just want to hear them out. So and I think that'd be good for the community. So, again, that, that invitation is on the board, on the table. It's been extended to Chris Olps multiple times, but it doesn't seem like he really wants to do it. But um, maybe there's other people that would like to come on board and 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 present that that case. Um, the fourth topic, which is one I never really covered, but th- this is an interesting story, and it's about the people that live in the Westwood area of Rancho Bernardo, kind of you know where the Rancho Bernardo community park is where they have all the, the softball fields and it's sort of just south of Lake Hodges on the west side of I-15. That area, you know, was was ravaged by the Witch Creek fire in 2007. But as a result of that, you know, they rebuilt the homes, but the streets have been a mess for 14 years. <laughs> and they've been going back to the city to get them to, you know, fix the streets because they were massively damaged by the fire and they couldn't rebuild. They wouldn't repave them. They wouldn't fix these streets. Well, they're finally now getting two and a half million dollars to do it. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, we live here in Poway and generally our streets are pretty good. Um, But once you cross over into San Diego, it's a very different story. I saw pictures of what was going on up in that community and yeah, I mean, it would be like just to use a simple example, you it would be impossible to ride a skateboard on these streets. I mean, it was so rocky and pebbly and a mess. Well, it's good that they're finally going to get some relief. I mean, I mean, one of the things that I think most people get upset with local government is when they don't fix the roads. Um, it's like one of the top 10 things, you know, is fix the potholes, fix the damn roads. And they've been clamoring for this for 14 years where they're finally getting it. And, you know, according to San Diego council member uh, Von Wilbert, the two and a half million dollars is designated for asphalt overlay for this area. And some of the streets and maybe, you know, them, they're in that Rancho Bernardo area, Azucar Way, Agua Miel Road, Cabela Drive and a bunch of other Westwood neighborhood streets. Um, so that's an interesting topic that. I really wasn't following too closely, but I'm, I'm kind of happy for them. Um, that Westwood community is a nice area. It's, again, kind of like, you know, this whole general area around here, great place to raise a family. 
Well, speaking of raising families, another one of the top stories, especially in Rancho Bernardo, was the fact that there was a a um, a, how would I how would I phrase this? There was a, the residents in Rancho Bernardo they rallied to stop a sexually violent predator from moving into Rancho Bernardo, and we only kind of touched on this story a bit in the podcast. And you know, I probably should have had some of the local Rancho Bernardo um, activists come on and talk about it. Looking back on on it, I, I definitely should have done that. But it was an interesting story because you know this is a guy that was. You know, this guy's a felon, you know, was was a sexual, um, what's the right word, a sexual criminal, violence towards children, went to jail, rightfully so. But it is always interesting is when they get out of jail, after they've served their time, you know, where are they supposed to go? And there's, uh, you know, there are all sorts of places, you know, people are contacting me as I'm doing the podcast here. Um People are, how should I say, uh, they're obviously upset, you know, when a sexual criminal moves into their neighborhood. You know, they, they feel they're going to be a predator to children in their community. But you often wonder where should they go if they've actually served their time. And, you know, generally I'm, I'm supportive of the ideas that if you go to jail and you serve your time – you pay your price to society when you get out. You know, you should have the same rights and freedoms as anyone else. But I know it's tricky when it comes to this case of, of sexual criminals because the the opportunity to repeat or, you know, how what do they say? Is it recidivism where they're going to repeat the crime is so high? So what do you do? And then apparently the people in Rancho Bernardo had advance notice that they were going to this person was going to be moving into the area. I don't know how they figured it out. I think it was a local Rancho Bernardo property owner that um, um, that was going to rent the house and had pre-announced that this person was going to be moving in. And that set off the uproar. But the community was able to essentially prevent it from happening, which good, you know, good on them if they've been able to figure out how to do that. But, you know, it just kind of kicks the can, the, moves the problem to some other place. I end up wondering whatever happens to these people, where do they end up living? And what? And if they are truly reformed, what is their life like? I mean, because they're still treated like a criminal. It's a really tricky situation. There's a lot of nuances to it. Uh, but it was a top story in the area. Oh, here's uh, a Jamie commenting here um, about the roads. And he said, purely speculation as a son of a civil engineer. I didn't know that. Your father was a civil engineer. I have to wonder if they waited to fix the roads until after the houses were, re- were rebuilt. Reason being is all of those homes being rebuilt will have big, heavy trucks moving in and out of the neighborhood and potentially damaging uh, new pavement. You know, well, I'm sure that was part of it, Jamie. But damn it, the Witch Creek fire was in 2007. It's been 14 years. Actually, you know, the odometer just moved. We're in 2022. You, it's been like 14 and a half years. Um, makes you wonder why it took so damn long. But, you know, they're finally getting their due, and I'm happy for them. Um, <laughs> Matt Brannigan. You know, Matt, I, I was just in the U.K. I'm going to tell my story about the U.K., and I know you're going to like it because you're that's that's your uh, old stomping grounds. But Matt's on the live stream says we know where they are and it's the ones we don't know about are the, the real problem. So anyways, that was one of the top stories here locally. And it was it was a big deal. I mean, there were 
um, there were protesters in the streets, signs in the community. It was a headline news, and it was a big story for about a month and a half, if I recall. Um, and then finally, um, this the, the the sixth top story, and and this is a sad story. And this one kind of hit close to home for us. So the community mourns a Rancho Bernardo father and teen son killed in a Poway car crash. And this was Steve Paroli, uh, 54 years old, and his son, Stephen Paroli, 13 years old, from Rancho Bernardo. They were pulling out of a parking lot at Poway High School, and they got T-boned by a car driving southbound on a Spola Road. And it killed the two of them immediately. And... It was a sad story because this was a this was a great kid, a great family, um, we, just well known and well liked in in the community. You know, lived in Rancho Bernardo. The son played for the San Diego Crush, which is a a local travel baseball program that's run here largely at, from Poway. My son played on San Diego Crush. My son went to Poway High. I can't tell you how many times our family has pulled out of that lot. It's called the Junior Lot. It's the one kind of near the football field and the baseball field, um, that junior lot at Poway High, which is on the northern part of the, of the, uh, of the campus. Yeah, when you're pulling out of that lot and you're, you have to, and if you want to go northbound on Espola, you've got to be careful. And the, the traffic coming southbound, sometimes it's hard to see. There's a little bit of a bend. They're coming out of an area with all those eucalyptus trees, so it's kind of dark, kind of hard to see them. Um, so... This unfortunate family, they, they pulled out and they got T-boned um, and instantly killed. And it was a sad story. Um, and it was covered extensively. And those are the six local stories. I'd say three of them we did a really good job covering, you know, two of them in particular. Um, but it's, it is interesting. I mean, you know, reflecting on the past year, there's a lot going on in our community, um, and there's a lot coming. There's a lot more amazing stories that are going to be coming. And so, you know, in this in this podcast, we welcome your thoughts and comments. I'm you know happy to have guests on to talk through these issues um, that are important here in our local community. Like I said, I like this to be a community forum, so we we welcome you to to join us. Okay, a um, couple of shout outs, and, and and there's one here's one person I want to talk about briefly. Her name's Terry Norwood. Now, Terry Norwood was a guest here on my on my podcast. She was a candidate for uh, Poway Unified School Board, I think, in 2020, if I recall. Yeah, it wasn't 20 or was it 2018? I think it was 2020. And she ran for. No, it was definitely 2018 because 2020 was the covid election because she joined me here in the podcast studio. She ran in 2018 Um and Terry, you know, a, a, a local activist, Rancher Bernardo, uh, great person. And she just started up a thrift store in Rancher Bernardo now. And it's called the Rise, R-I-S-E, Rise Retail Shop. And it's the address is 12540 Oak, Oak North, Oaks North Drive. So it's up kind of in the Oaks North Golf Course. So if you're like on Pomerado Road, sort of in between Rancher Bernardo Road and Lake Hodges. It's sort of up there. And there's been a lot of people that have been really happy that she opened this up, particularly because all the thrift stores in Poway were closed, right? Because of all the developments going on down there. And it's kind of cool. So the proceeds that that they're generating from this thrift store, because, you know, a lot of thrift stores are nonprofit and 
at least the ones down off that were they used to be on Poway Road, a lot of them funded the local churches. Well, what she's using the money here for is to go to provide grants to three area organizations. And one of them is to Abraxas High School in Poway to support the Poway Unified Continuing Education Campus's various needs. And, you know, Abraxas, very interesting school, a little bit different high school than the other five in the district. But, you know, there's kids that go there that have special needs or have had difficult circumstances in their life. And she's going to provide a grant to help fund, you know, some of those initiatives. That's great. She's also going to fund this community called Alabaster Jar. I've never heard of this, but it's kind of an interesting name. But it's to assist the survivors of human trafficking. And then finally, um, some of the money that she's generating at the Rise, the Rise Resale Shop is going to go to the Interfaith Community Services Veterans Stabilization Program. And the Interfaith Community, you know, we had... Uh, the, the people from that uh, here on the podcast. Uh, we, we had a really great conversation about interfaith. So it's cool. So good on you, Terry, and, and the work that you're doing. Um, and then another person I want to give a shout out to, and this is an interesting person, not really a local in this area, but well-known in San Diego County, well-known in the state of California, Lorena Gonzalez, or perhaps I should say Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher. And she's a very interesting person. Now, she was on the local uh, state assembly, and she's just resigning. And she's taking this new position to be the chief executive of the California Labor, what is it, Federation. And um, this, she's to me, she's always been a very interesting person. Now, politically, she and I are very much very different politically. But I've always really liked her. Um she has been extremely outspoken, very passionate, uh, particularly on the topic of, you know, working class and, and working rights for workers. I mean, it's always been kind of her love. A strongly principled person in politics, which I love that. Even if I disagree with them, I love when people are consistent and passionate. Um, she always sort of reminded me as kind of a, a local version of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, someone that was passionate, principled, and was really clever and savvy about their persona on social media and in, you know, in the media in general. Um, but anyways, you know, she's a just a recovering breast cancer survivor. I think she just had a mastectomy. And but she's been outspoken, been a leader at this California State Assembly. She's stepping down to take this job with the Labor Federation, which is really right in her wheelhouse. So she has always represented like kind of Chula Vista, National City, some of that San Diego area down by the border. And, um, you know, I think she deserves a shout out. I mean, she's just been recovering from cancer and taking on a new role. And, you know, again, don't necessarily always see eye to eye. Like she was the one that was a big proponent of, what was it, AB5, which is the uh, the bill that was going to basically kind of tear down a lot of the independent contractors, like the Uber workers, et cetera. They were going to have to be categorized as employees. And, you know, I'm a big gig worker advocate. I'm a big uh, supporter of independent contractors because, frankly, that's what I do um, in my business. I do a lot of independent contracting, and I think it's empowering for people, gives them greater control of their their life in many ways can make greater amounts of income uh, than they would otherwise. 
and independent contracting isn't just Uber and Lyft and DoorDash, um, but it's so many other things in the gig worker economy, especially with this whole labor market being so, you know, what's the right word? The whole labor market being so volatile. And there's been so much demand for workers in a lot of these businesses creates huge opportunity for independent contractors to come in and fill those gaps and get paid handsomely for that work. Um, But she was always kind of on the other side. She wanted to categorize them as employees. And so those employees had more rights, but then also there's probably more tax dollars going to Sacramento. But anyways, I think she deserves a shout out. Um, a couple other ones here in this area of sports. Tony Roshak, um, who is a basketball player for my alma mater, UC San Diego, the Big West Player of the Week for the second week in a row. UCSD, I'm telling you, they're Division One. This is their second year. They're D1. They're in first place in the Big West, and they're still not eligible to win the conference. But because they're in that transition from Division Two to Division One, UCSD is in first place. It's just fantastic. So uh, they just beat UC Santa Barbara. Roshak had a great day. I think he scored like 34 points. Um, and uh, he won the, the award for the second week in a row. So they're now going to play Riverside and on Thursday and then Davis on Saturday. And I was going to go to the game in Riverside. But now with COVID, you know, the first couple of weeks at UC San Diego, all the students are going virtual. And that's probably going to be extended more than a couple of weeks. So now there's no fans that are allowed in Remac Arena there on the campus of UCSD in La Jolla. But, you know, they're going on a road trip up to Riverside, but you see Riverside also, same deal, right? They're, their students are going virtual now with the rise of the Omicron virus, uh, the Omicron variant, I should say. And and the, the game is going to be played without fans. So I was bummed out. So, um, And then, you know, Saturday they're playing up in Davis. And I was kicking around, the, originally kicking around the idea of doing a road trip up there. Because, you know, a few, that was about six weeks ago, I went on a road trip to Sacramento to watch UCSD play Sacramento State. I had a great time. Um, and I was considering doing it going up to Davis. But uh, no go, you know, with all this COVID stuff and the campus is getting shut down. And now the same thing is about to happen at San Diego State. So, you know, San Diego State was supposed to play a game tonight um, against, who was it, Fresno State. That game got canceled because, um, you know, Fresno State, all the COVID protocols, they can't field a team. So that game was canceled. They got a game this Saturday against Nevada. And they were hoping to make it a big whiteout, you know, have all the fans there wearing white shirts. Don't be surprised if that game maybe either gets canceled or they don't let fans in. Now, they're already putting in a plan that you have to have a positive um, or excuse me, a successful test. Uh, What's the right way to say it? You have to be you have to prove you don't have covid to get in. So they're going to be requiring testing. And if you haven't been tested, they're going to have a testing facility there on campus. It's going to cost 35 bucks. That's already tweaking a lot of fans, particularly the fans that have been resistant to the vaccination uh, situation. I've been seeing online a lot of Aztec fans selling their tickets, angry, upset. So now the games there are being politicized. But um Anyways, the guy that deserves a shout out, though, I, you know, we got to go to him is Keisha Johnson, Mountain West Player of the Week. So look at that. UC San Diego with Tony Roshak, Player of the Week in their conference, the Big West. Keisha Johnson, Player of the Week for the Mountain West, a San Diego State Aztec. 
So that's great. I mean, it's local guys and they're doing well and I, I love seeing it. Um, but what's interesting, by the way, is that if they're going to be testing to go into Viejas Arena at San Diego State, you know, I just saw that the, 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 um, the tests are trending at 23% positive. That's incredible. So if you take a test, there's like a 23% chance you're going to be positive for COVID. So it's going to be just total chaos. There's going to be people showing up that haven't been tested, people angry because they can't get in, but they paid for their season tickets. That's going to be a mess over at Viejas. Um, so we'll see. And then the, finally, the other shout out locally, and I, this is my last sports comment, uh, Rashad Penny. Right. The, the running back for San Diego State, he's playing for the Seattle Seahawks. He's finally healthy. And the guy has just been tearing it up. And he was the NFC player of the week, you know, NFL running back. And good on you, Rashad Penny. So that's been great. And then two other people to give a shout out to. And this is a person I just discovered online this week. Her name's um, Kirsten Vanderjack. And she's put together this project called the Normalized Money Project. And it's free financial education for people between the ages of 14 and 24. And this is so cool because how often do we hear the comment that students, when they're in high school, they don't get taught how to manage finances. They, you know, We used to say they don't get taught how to balance a checkbook, but how many people are still carrying around a checkbook with a check register, especially if they're young? Probably very few. But really, financial education is a big, big deal. And it's largely not taught in our high schools, and it really should. Well, she's taken it on to teach this to young people. Now, I don't know if this is a truly altruistic effort, or maybe she's a financial planner, and you know there may be some upside to her. I don't know what her background is, but the fact that she's doing it is great. And I know that she's out there soliciting local businesses here in the Poway RB area, particularly restaurants, to see if they might have a back room that they'd open up. Uh, to allow her to teach those courses there. So hopefully she'll get some response. But I love that, that that's that that kind of education is happening to teach young people about financial management, because it's just so important to your success in life. So good on her. And then finally, this is a gentleman, I never knew this person, uh, but there's been a lot of um, sadness that's been reported here that the um, pastor of the Maranatha Chapel, Pastor Ray, passed away and he died of covid um, and, you know, there's just a lot of mourning. And this is, a, a, you know, a guy that helped a lot of people in our community. And so there's a lot of outpouring of sympathy for him. Um, but it's there's kind of a tangent story on this. And maybe you've heard this. There was a person up in Orange County that a former um, or maybe she's a current assistant de- uh, deputy, um, an ADA. So what is that? A deputy no, a district attorney, an assistant district attorney, and a person that's ran for state assembly before and likely was about to run again. She had been a strong proponent against um, mandates, against, you know, essentially, um, you know, vaccine mandates, and had been, um, and also coincidentally, wasn't vaccinated. And she just died of COVID. She contracted it in November and just passed away. Sad story. But you're seeing a lot of these cases where people are passing from COVID and for the most part, they're not vaccinated. So people, (laughs) 
Get vaccinated. It's easy. It's cheap. And it greatly reduces the odds of you having to be hospitalized or become seriously ill and certainly of dying. You know, some people, you're still going to get it. You know, still people can get the virus, even if you're vaccinated. But you're going to be better off with the vaccination than not. And besides, in order to navigate through society, there's a lot of vaccine requirements. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But uh, anyways, Pastor Ray at Maranatha, I think, deserves a shout out. You know, sad to see community leaders pass, um, but particularly sad when they pass from COVID when vaccines are so readily available. I mean, I don't know if Pastor Ray was vaccinated or not. I assume he wasn't. Um, but um, anyways, so any some interesting stories here locally. Okay. Um, I'm about to get into my story about COVID testing and our trip to the UK. But before I do, hey, if you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to my website, go to johnreillyproject.com, and there you can donate. If you feel so inclined to want to donate to this podcast, um, we'd be so um you know, so appreciative of your support. Um, so you can go and financially donate, you know, whether you want to make a one-time donation, a monthly donation, and the money we receive from that will be put right back into this podcast to promote it and to try to grow the audience. That's what we're trying to do. And to just kind of keep the momentum going, right? Because we like covering these local issues. I do this as sort of a labor of love. Um, I do this, you know, I'm not in it for the money, but if I got support, financial support, you know, that keeps me going. Um, so if you're so inclined to support it, go to johnreillyproject.com. There you can make a donation a one time, a monthly, and we'd be so appreciative of your support, no matter how small. Um, and hey, value for value, right? I'm providing a lot of coverage of local issues. Perhaps you enjoy listening or maybe watching the podcast on the live stream or listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or Pandora or wherever you happen to listen. Uh, so that's one way you can help if you're so interested. Okay, let's talk about this trip that I was just on. And, you know, I alluded to it a little bit in, in November, December that we were considering going on a trip to the UK. And, you know, our family hadn't been on a big vacation in a very long time. And we wanted to go somewhere internationally, but we knew it was going to be weird with COVID. And this was before the Omicron thing really started to kick in high gear. And we booked a trip. Uh, it was like in September, October is when we booked it. And we got travel insurance, which I, we were, it was really important that we did that because we knew anything could happen. And then especially as, you know, we got in November and the Omicron thing became, uh, gotten in the news. And then as we got into December, it became more and more escalated. We were really worried. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to go because of all the COVID testing. And frankly, you know, there were last time with the, with the initial um, uh, COVID situation in Q2 of 2020, you know, there were a lot of international traveling was banned. A lot of countries wouldn't allow people in. Even if they, well, that was before the vaccine, but we were afraid that that was going to happen again. And so we were really spooked by this and we were considering canceling our trip. But then we started thinking about it and we said, you know what, if we, if we can just get there, if we can just make it to London, it's probably going to be fine once we get there. And I'll tell you what, that, that generally proved to be true. So um, our trip there was 
difficult to get there and to kind of get there properly, you know, by through all the COVID rules. But once we got there, hey, it was a great trip. And I'll share some of the highlights of it, you know, uh, about the trip because it it was wonderful. We had an amazing time. But I want to share with you what we had to go through because I think this is interesting. So we had to get tested before we left. And then we had to be tested after we arrived. So it was kind of bookended on our on our travel. So and, and you've got to do all these things within certain tight time frames. And, and if you don't, you can't get on an airplane. And if you don't, you could potentially be quarantined. And so it, it was difficult to navigate. And it's also difficult to navigate because on one hand, you you know, you sort of know the rules here in America, but then you got to figure out the rules over there in the UK. And it's all happening fast. And the rules are being updated fast and you're hearing rumors and then you're double checking. And then a lot of times the rules are written and they're really long and bureaucratic um, explanations. And there's an exception for this and an exception for that. And it can be a little bit overwhelming, particularly when you're just trying to plan the trip in the first place. Um, So what we did is we did the PCR testing before we left and we're a family of four, right? So it's my wife and I, you know, we're empty nesters. My, our, my, our daughter, who is, um, is 24 years old, lives in Carmel Valley. She joined us. And then our son, who's 22, who's in college at the University of Oklahoma, he joined us too. And so we were trying to coordinate all this testing here since San Diego, but also in Oklahoma uh, because he was going to be leaving directly from Oklahoma on this trip. So we ended up going to Kaiser and the Kaiser facility. Um, they had a drive through at the Kaiser at Zion, you know, which is kind of there in that Mission Gorge area, kind of near where the 15 and the 8 freeway intersect. And then I went to the one in San Marcos was a drive-through as well. And it's it was very interesting because you go through the drive-through and you never got out of your car, which is kind of cool. And a person came out and, you know, with one of those really long Q-tips and they would go down your throat and test you, get a swab on each side of your throat. And they went down pretty deep, but then they went up your nose. And I had never had that before. And I had seen it on television but it's amazing how far up it goes because you, you re- fail to realize how deep your sinuses are and how far back into your skull they go. Um, and so they ended up, I think she had to do it for like 10 seconds up each nostril. And then she, you know, took the swabs, the you know, these kind of medical Q-tips, for lack of a better term, put them in the, the – uh, was it a vial or, you know, I think that's what it is, kind of like a test tube, but it's sealed and then labeled it. And, you know, we had to pre-schedule this. So our name was already in the computer. So they had it labeled and then it went off to the lab and it worked out great. I mean, my wife and I, we each got our test results back in uh, probably about six hours. And what was interesting is we had to have this test within 48 hours before the plane leaves. So, you know, you can't get it done like a week in advance. You've got to get it done really close to when you leave. And therefore, it's really important that you get your test results back quickly so that you're going to be okay to get on the airplane. Well, my daughter's situation was different. You know, she went and I think we left on a Saturday. She went on that Thursday morning early and got tested. But her results didn't show up 
on Thursday. They didn't show up on Friday. And they, you know, we were trying to figure out what was going on. We later found out there was, it wasn't transported. It got kind of mixed up in the shuffle and didn't make it to the lab. And they were doing the, the lab, by the way, was in Chino Hills. Can you believe that? Um, and so she was stressing out. She wasn't sure if she was going to have to go and get tested somewhere else. Now, granted, when we go to Kaiser, we're Kaiser members, so we didn't have to pay. It's all part of the health insurance they're already paying for. But in order to go um, for her situation, she hadn't gotten her test results back. Here it is the morning of the day that we are about to fly still doesn't have the test results. So she's stressing and she's wondering, does she need to go to another place and pay for a test and pay a really high fee um, in order to get a test result in three hours? Uh, now, we, we were kind of bouncing around on that one. Then finally, thank goodness, the test result finally came in later in the morning on that day, the day that we were flying. My son's situation, on the other hand, was even crazier because, you know, he, he's in Norman, Oklahoma, um, which, by the way, is, is very cavalier when it comes to COVID. There's very little masking going on in Norman, Oklahoma. I'll tell you what, uh, very different than California. Well, he went to a local clinic, got, got his, uh, the test done. You know, they, they took the, the sample. And then as he's leaving, they say, hey, you know, when do you think I'll be getting the results? And they said, well, the lab's running a bit late. There's backlog. It might be about four days. And you're like, wait a minute, four days? The airplane is leaving in 48 hours. And frankly, that's the rule that you have to get tested and the test needs to be within 48 hours in order to get on the airplane. And if the test result doesn't come for f- for four days, well, frankly, that test result may not be in in time. So immediately now, he's in a weird spot got to figure out, okay, now where can he go get, get, get testing? So he had to go get a second round of testing. You know, he had to pay for the first one, he had to pay for the second one. And the second one, he finally got that tested. Um, and that was the day before, I think it was on the Friday, the day before the flight. And that one got the results quickly, which was, which is good. I think that was like within three hours. And then coincidentally, later that day, about 24 hours after the first test, those results came in, even though he was told they could be four days later. So just a lot of chaos, a lot of stress, a lot of worry, because you don't want to show up for a trip that you've pre-planned and frankly costs a lot of money to go on this trip. You don't want to have to get slammed and shut down because you didn't get all the testing done properly. And it was very stressful that day before and even the day of. And then on top of it, when you get on, in order to get on the airplane, you've also got to figure out, um, it's called a passenger locator form. You have to fill this out and you have to basically tell them all the places you're going to be with addresses and everything, all the places that you're going to be spending the night when you're in the UK for the first 10 days you're there. So in case... There is an outbreak and it came from your airplane or however the heck they're doing it. They can track you. So so that was interesting. So in order for us, when we went into the airport here in San Diego to check our luggage, um, because, you know, that's where you have to show the passport and everything else. You also had to show proof of a COVID 
test results within the last 48 hours. You also had this have this passenger locator form filled out properly. And for a lot of those, you know, you, you can get them. They can kind of have QR codes. And so those can be scannable. You also had to have proof of your vaccination status. Um, so we had to bring that along too. And I had um, an app on my phone where we could download the, the vaccination status. And it was interesting is for Kaiser, they would actually be able to download a file onto your phone and then it would work with the iPhones. I guess it's like a health app. And so we, they were able, my family, my wife and my daughter were able to download the two initial COVID vaccines and the booster. Now I'm on an Android and I would use kind of like a third party app and I was able to download my single Johnson and Johnson vaccination as a data file, but I couldn't get my data file for my booster to download, but I still had the little card that was, you know, it looks like it's handwritten that it could easily be forged. I had that, but that's really all I had to show as far as proof of vaccination. So, um, so anyways, you get on the airplane and, and we fly. And, and the great news is you fly from San Diego to London. It's nonstop, which is cool. Um, and that's a pretty amazing thing that they do nonstop from San Diego. It's a long flight. But when, when we landed, we got there, um, I guess it was on Sunday the 19th. And it was in the evening. And oh, the other thing we had to do before we could leave San Diego, we also had to show proof that we had pre-booked a vaccination test within the first 48 hours after we arrived in the UK. So it was like four, besides showing your passport stuff, we had to show four things in order to be able to get on the airplane. It was the, the, the test within the last 48 hours, the vaccination card, the passenger locator form, and proof that we had a test booked in advance once we arrived. So... The next day, the morning of the next day, that was the first thing we did. We we ended up walking. You know, we, we had our hotel was in, if you're familiar with London, was in the Marble Arch area, which is right in the middle of central London, right by kind of in the northeast of Hyde Park. And so we walked over to Leicester Square to a, um, a local testing facility. And we had to wait in line there for about 45 minutes, even though we had pre-booked the, the um, uh the test and the same thing. You go into this, into this office, go behind a, a curtain, and then there is a technician there that did the same PCR test with the swab down your throat, the swab up your nose, and we pay. You know, we had an option to get the test done on a uh, regular turnaround time, which I think was like twenty four to forty eight hours, or you could spend more to get it done within. I think it was either three to six hours, but it costs more money. But, you know, when you're on a trip and you're traveling, you don't want to spend your first two days quarantining your hotel room. So we decided to spend the extra money to get the test more quickly. Now, we didn't exactly follow the rules perfectly. Now, perfectly, we should have gone back to our hotel and quarantine. But we instead, what we did is we just went for a really long walk that day. And, you know, when you're outdoors, you know, the risk of transmission is so minimal. So we ended up walking um, almost all day. And then by the end of the, by actually it was partway through our walk, we ended up getting our successful test results. So it all worked out fine. Um, and the, uh, 
just to give, before I go into more detail on this, I want to share with you just a couple more COVID things that were interesting. So while we were there in London, I mean, you turn on the BBC or Sky News on your television in the hotel room, and that's all they're talking about is is COVID and Omicron and the cases and, you know, it's escalating. And just like in America, there's a lot of hysteria. There's a lot of, um, you know, the local media just really, you know, pumping this story. But when you go out onto the streets, it's like, it's not, it's almost like COVID is not even a thing. Now, granted, when you go indoors, you have to wear a mask and almost all people do, but you still saw so many people on the street, so many people on public transportation. Um, again, if they're indoors, they were wearing masks, but it was, it was like what you saw on the news didn't match the reality that you saw when you were on the streets. Um, Matt, uh, Matt Brannigan on the live stream. Were you in the shadow of the infamous Marble Arch Mound? Most people in London, I know, thinks it's hideous. I don't know if I recall seeing the Marble Arch Mound, but we were right there, right there uh, in the Marble Arch community. And I saw the Marble Arch itself um, right there at the in the corner of Hyde Park. But, it, you know, it. while we're watching the news, again, we're, we're worried, you know, that they're going to shut things down, that we're going to see our vacation implode because um, we were worried about that before we left, but we still thought that once we got there, we'd be okay. But once we got there, it turned out that everything was pretty cool. We were surprised that, I mean, granted, you know, certain things were closed. You know, you had to pre-book a lot of tours, which we had done. You had to pre-book a lot of restaurant reservations, which we had done. Um, now, granted, some of those restaurant reservations were a bit easier to get because a lot of people canceled their bookings, like, you know, for Christmas dinner and that sort of thing. But um, and then we also went to a, a Premier League match when we, when we were in Manchester. And I'll tell you the story of how we ended up getting up to Manchester. But we went and saw Man City play Leicester City at, at, at the odd stadium there in Manchester. And boy, it was a great time. But prior to that. We were really worried because you had to show, in order to get into the stadium, you had to show a positive, you know, test result, well, actually a negative test result um, to get in. And you had to show it on your NHS app, which all the people in the UK had. But we're thinking, well, we're we're foreigners and we're we don't have an NHS HS account because we're not. We're not, you know, British, and therefore we're not in the NHS system. And then we wondered, well, what will we have to show? Because they expected the app, you know, would had the QR code for all the locals. Does that mean we'd have to show the app on our phones? And that's why we downloaded it and got the, uh, the got these other apps. You know, the, there's the health app on the iPhone. I downloaded a third party app, but I couldn't get my booster on it, so I was a little worried about that. And then we had our pre written cards, and. We were, we were worried because we didn't want to like finally get to a Premier League match, which for my son and I, this was a big deal. And we didn't want to be turned away at the gate. I mean, it would have been the, the most disappointing result possible. Um, so we were always constantly checking. And, you know, the rules were in flux the whole time we were there. But sure enough, when we got there, we just showed them the handwritten card. And they go, they looked at it and they were like kind of a quizzical look on it. And we said, yeah, that we're from the United States. This proves we're COVID vaccinated. And they go, oh, okay, no problem. You go ahead. You know, as long as we had our mask on. 
Because who was checking you in? It wasn't like it was some official government person. It was just like a security guy or a, or a ticket collector at the gate. And so it ended up being a lot more lax than you would have expected. Now, granted, when we were in the stadium, we had to wear a mask. But you look around and, you know, a lot of people were wearing the mask underneath their chin. And so, again, it's like it's similar to what we see in America in some cases. There are some people that take it very seriously. There's some people that don't. There are other people that sort of mock the process. And then, frankly, there are a lot of people that are sort of out to lunch, you know, and and they're having to be told what to do. Um, but, again, the we were really worried when we left. Um, and we had to jump through a lot of hoops just to get there. But once we got there, it wasn't so bad. And then when we left, we had to book a, um, a COVID test test. And by this time we were in Edinburgh, so we had to we had to uh, book our test up there. And I'll tell you what, that one they not only put the swab down our throat and up our nose, but when they put it up the up our nose, they had to twirl it around. And it's not just in you know the initial front of your nose; it's in the back of your head. And this swab is spinning around. I mean, I was like gagging. It was the most unbelievable feeling. Um, and I was still rubbing off the, the willies for like two hours after that test. Um, but anyways, we passed that test and we were able to get on a plane, come home. And, you know, thank God we didn't have any problems with our flights. Cause you know, there were a lot of flights were canceled and, and everything else. Uh, we, we were able to get home just fine. And it was something. Um, but, you know, the UK, by the way, I'm noticing a lot of people from the UK are being banned from traveling to other countries. I think, is it like in Hong Kong? I think people from the UK are not allowed in, et cetera, et cetera, because the UK, I think, is maybe more lax than other nations. And we sort of noticed that. Um, but again, the whole time we were traveling, you know, we we're safe. We wear masks when we're indoors. And a lot of times we were wearing a mask outdoors, too, because it was so cold and the mask sort of keeps your face warm. Um, and, you know, we practice social distancing. We were outdoors a lot. We were vaccinated. We were boosted. And, you know, we, we, we didn't do anything foolish that would have jeopardized our health. But the whole time we kept thinking, oh, my God, what would happen if we, A, tested positive when we arrived? Because then you have to have a 10-day quarantine, you know, like on that day one when you're in London, if we had tested positive then in which anything could have happened. I mean, you know, we were tr we got that test 48 hours before we left. You know, you're in the airport, you're on an airplane, you're getting out of an airport, you're in a taxi. I mean, anything could happen in that 48 to what would it be? Um, uh, 72 hour window. And if we would have gotten a positive test, we would have had to quarantine. And imagine 10 days. That would just destroy the vacation. And then we were always worried that once we were ready to leave, if we tested positive, we wouldn't be able to leave. And then we would have to quarantine for 10 more days. Now, thank God that didn't happen. You know, thank God we, we flew through all the testing. Um, but it was stressful. It was something. Um, so... Uh, oh, and the other thing that we did, which was hilarious, is that we were, uh, and Matt, you'll appreciate this, in Hyde Park, they have this thing called the Winter Wonderland. And 
it was our first night there, and it was like it, we thought it was going to be like a light show. And it was at Hyde Park, and Hyde Park is sort of like the equivalent of Balboa Park in San Diego, or maybe Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, or Central Park in New York. You know, it's like the main big city park. And this Winter Wonderland was actually really close to our hotel. And so we had to buy tickets in advance and we had to be, um, you know, we had to have the COVID uh, vaccine and proof of it in order to get in. So again, we're, we're, you know, trying to get all organized for all these things, not knowing how rigorous they're going to be checking. But we waited in this mob scene to get into the gate and it's like they didn't even te- they didn't even check whether or not we had a vaccine vaccine card. They just if you had the ticket and the QR code for your ticket, that's all they cared about. And once we got in, oh, it was like the Del Mar Fair is what it was like because there were rides and there were you know there were bars in there too serving booze and food. But it was mostly like all those carnival rides that you see at the Del Mar Fair, and it was jam friggin' packed. It was so crowded. It was uncomfortable. Um, and we, the whole time we're there, we're thinking, well, this is a perfect spot to pickpocket a, a tourist. Uh, but it was mostly young people, a lot of young people on dates. And it was kind of cool to see. But, you know, I mean, it was the, the exact opposite of social distancing. I mean, it was like rubbing shoulder to shoulder a lot of cases this whole whole time. And so we only stuck around for like 10 minutes. And then we decided, okay, we need to leave. Um, but again, very lax checking of, of vaccine status, even though that's the rule. Um, it seems like they put in the rules, the event promoters and coordinators say they're going to enforce the rule, probably create a process to enforce the rule. But in the end, you've got, you know, just some guy, you know, that doesn't really care. It's just his job and is just letting people through. And that's what we experienced while we were there. So, but, you know, lots of hysteria on television about COVID. But, you know, Matt, to your point, yeah, we were there and, you know, in London, it was an amazing city. I mean, it it was vibrant city, like just like any other big city around the world, a lot like New York City, lots of wealth. I mean, lots of high-end retailers almost everywhere we looked and really exotic cars we saw traveling in London. Um just a lot of wealth in that city, which really struck us. Um, we went on that long walk, I told you, right after we had the test. And we you know, we were in Leicester Square. And then we went through the theater district and Piccadilly Circus. I got a list here. Trafalgar Square. We went by the National Gallery. Went by 10 Downing Street. You know, it's kind of walled off there. Well, not walled off, but fenced off. But we got to see that little neighborhood where we normally see the front door of the Prime Minister of England. Uh, or of the UK, I should say. Um, but it was interesting because on television, it looks like a friendly neighborhood. But in reality, it's a secure location, as you would expect. Um, and then um, we also we went by Big Ben and Westminster Abbey. We, we crossed the River Thames. And, and they say the River Thames, right? And then uh, went on the London Eye. Um, I didn't go. I, I get creeped out by heights. It's probably because I fell off my roof putting Christmas tree, uh, putting Christmas lights on our house. Gosh, that was like about 20 years ago. So I've always been kind of spooked by heights. But the, the other three of my wife and two kids went on and they loved it. Um, went on the London Eye and then we just walked along the river there. And, you know, just so much to see. And we worked our way down to uh, the Tower of London, and which is, you know, where the, the old castle and the wall around 
which was then the beginning of, of London, um, was there. And, um, you know, the London Tower Bridge was there. I mean, we just saw it was beautiful. That whole area along the river was fantastic and it was a great way to kind of start and good exercise. Oh, my God. We walked a ton on this vacation. Um, and the next day we were up and we, we decided to go to Notting Hill, which, you know, you, I just I, I remember it because that movie. What was it? I think it was was it Julia, uh, Julia Roberts and um, Hugh Grant, I think. And uh, but, but it was just a nice, nice community there sort of in. The, I guess the West End is what you say of London. And the whole time I'm thinking of that Pet, Shop, Pet Shop Boys song, West End Girls, right? Um, but it was just a really nice community. And granted, the housing there is crazy expensive. And then we worked our way up to Portobello Market, which is kind of like a, a street fair of all these booths. Now, granted, we were up there on a Tuesday, which was a very quiet day. But it was cool, you know, kind of being out there amongst the locals and um, and, you know, kind of took that in, hung out at a pub up there for part of the day. So we got in a lot of London and, and we were in central London, which was just electric. It was so much going on, even though there was this Omicron um, variant. Um, but it was great. And, and then what we did, our plan was, is that we were going to rent a car. And we did. We rented a car and we were going to travel all the way up to Scotland and stop at various places along the way. And this is a 16 day trip. Um, so we ended up renting a car and I figured, OK, you know, it's going to be a trip to drive in the UK because not only are they driving on the left side of the road, but the steering wheel is on the right side of the car. Right. So I knew that immediately that was going to be a challenge. And I had driven on the left side of the road when we were on our honeymoon in the British Virgin Islands, but I was in a car that was a steering wheel on the left. So, but this time it was a steering wheel on the right. But get this, not only that, but it was a manual transmission, which for me is no problem. I, I, I've, I've driven a manual all throughout my life, but I was shifting with my left hand, which was like, everything was backwards. But I was able to kind of navigate and we kind of worked our way through the city. We went through Chelsea. We saw the the the, uh, the football stadium for Chelsea there as we went through and and we kind of worked our way out of the city. And oh, my God, I mean, the, the roundabouts was just something. I mean, so many different roundabouts uh, as you're traveling through London and frankly, all of the U.K., and there's a rhythm to going through roundabouts. And at first, I was like Mr. Magoo, driving through these things and probably pissing off the locals. But eventually, I kind of got into the rhythm. You have to yield before you go in, and you kind of there's a there's a certain decorum as you go through it. But an excessive amounts of these roundabouts, especially on what you would think would be major highways. I mean, you'll be going on a major freeway, and then all of a sudden, there's a roundabout. Um, which you never see in America. I mean, America, if there is a roundabout, it's on a small city street. Um, I know they were talking about putting one here in Poway, and I've seen roundabouts in, um, in – I saw one in Pahrump. I saw – I think I saw some roundabouts when we were in Sedona, Arizona. But it was interesting to see them there. So yeah, that was a trip. Um, Matt says, when I was a kid, you could walk right up to number 10. Oh, you could. So Matt, again, Matt, you're you're the uh, the English uh, fan here of the podcast, and thanks for everything you do supporting the podcast. Um, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I would been kind of neat to walk right up to number ten Downing Street, wouldn't it? But it was it was fenced off. There was like a metal gate around that area. Well, anyways, we get out of London, and our first stop um, 
was to we were going to stop at Silverstone, and Silverstone is an F one racetrack for cars, and you know, God, if Pete Neeld was with us, he would have loved this. But my wife and my son had both been getting they're hooked on this Netflix show about F one right racing, and they both really wanted to go to this track. So um, we went, the four of us, and it was cool. They had an auto museum there. This was a site, a former site of a World War II um, airfield. And actually the site, there was like a, there was an abbey there with the monks, if you go back like a thousand years. But um, it was a really neat spot. And we, we went through the museum, learned about the history of the area. They um, we were able to walk uh, around part of the track. Um, and it was like, you know, this is a big time F1 racetrack. Um, with, you know, grandstands around the area. Of course, it's the holiday season, so there's no racing going on. But during the evenings, they let people drive on the racetrack, which is cool because they have like a light show for, you know, regular folks driving their car on the track. And then in the museum, they had a, an F1 simulator that my son um, actually used, and it was pretty cool. I mean, it was... Um, like you're driving a real F1 car with the with the shifter paddles and the whole thing. Um, he really enjoyed that. So we were there for like a couple hours. And then we worked our way sort of northeast and went through Oxford. Um, I thought that'd be a little more interesting. It wasn't. And then we worked our way to the Cotswolds, which is like kind of like the, the English countryside up in the hills. It's very quaint, a lot of villages. It's beautiful up there. And we spent about, was it two and a half, three days up there. And had a nice hotel. And then we had one day trip. We went to Stonehenge, which was cool as hell. I mean, for me, that was a major bucket list uh, opportunity uh, to see Stonehenge. And then on another day trip, my son, well, the four of us went to Stonehenge, but the next day, my son and I went to, to the city of Bath. And, you know, it's an old Roman city where they have this natural hot springs. And we went through that whole, um, the Roman bath, um, it's just like a museum and it's amazing history there. So really enjoyed that. And the city of Bath was really cool. It was a really neat town. Um, and, um, and while we were there, we uh, also went into, we were in this town called Cirencester. And so we were in that small community and we had like a, the most amazing fish and chips I've ever had in my life. It was so good. Um, and then the next day, what did we do? We um, headed up to Manchester. Like I said, we, we, we stayed in there in downtown at a nice hotel. It's like a double tree. And then, um, oh, my daughter was leaving early. So when we got there, we had to have her tested in Manchester because she was leaving on the 27th. And so on the 26th, she was tested. And then, then we went to Etihad Stadium and went to the Premier League match. And it was a crazy match. I mean, Man City, you know, is the number one team in the Premier League right now. They were playing Leicester City. It was kind of a middling team, probably somewhere in the middle of the pack. Man City won six to three. It, I mean, six to three is a huge score in a in a soccer match. Um, it's like a football game that the final score is fifty six to forty two. It's that kind of thing. Um, the, the match started out where um, Man City was up four nothing at halftime. We thought, oh, this is going to be a rout, and then. Leicester City scored three quick goals to start the second half and suddenly game on. Um, but then Man City pulled away at the end. But it was a great event. And the fans were unbelievable. 
It was like you watch it on television. You hear the fans sort of singing in the background. Well, we got to experience that firsthand. And every player seems to have a song and every situation there's a song. Um, Still, I don't know all the words to them. I probably need to look them up and study them online so I know what to say. Uh, but it was great. You know, Man City comes out to to the song Hey Jude, you know, when they're going, nah, 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 nah. You know, they kind of come out uh, to the crowd. And I mean, they the, the team, they're just loaded with superstars. So it was really fun. I mean, it was a really great event. And my son is a gigantic Man City fan. He's been following them for the past like five or six years. And for him, this was a huge deal. Um, and we had great seats. I mean, we booked best available. You figure if you're going to go to a match, you may as well, if you're going to go, get the best seats you can. Um, and our seats were really close to the corner kick area and were for one of the goals. So, um, But the funny thing is, is there were nine goals scored, but seven of them were scored on the opposite goal. <laughs> but the two that were scored near us, um, one of them, you know how they, when they score, they come running off and celebrate that was right in front of us. So it was pretty cool. It was a great event. Um, and then, uh, what else did we do? Oh, then the next day we went to Liverpool and we did a, a we did a Peaky Blinders tour. Have you ever watched that show? Ah, oh, it's a great show. It's on Netflix about these gangsters from the 1920s. And, you know, this, the show is supposedly takes place in Birmingham, but a lot of the filming is in Liverpool. So Liverpool is only about, you know, roughly an hour or so outside of Manchester. So we went there and went through the whole Peaky Blinders tour. And, you know, we saw the, um, God, what was it? The, uh, the garrison. And we saw where Polly's house is. We saw where they filmed, you know, the supposed racetrack for Epson, the Epson Derby. Um, we saw where we saw St. George's Hall where, we saw there was a number of scenes that were that took place there. So it was cool that we got to get, go it around Liverpool. And then, of course, you're in Liverpool. You got to do a Beatles tour. So we did that. And we went to Penny Lane and Strawberry Field. And, and then we ended up, um, you know, seeing the childhood homes of the Beatles. It was kind of cool. Um, and then uh, what else did we do? We went to after that, we drove to York, which was, you know, this old medieval city, a walled city. And that was something. I mean, that was you know, it was like it was the the wall itself was like something from Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. And we got actually were able to walk along the wall, you know, right where the archers would be at the top of the wall, you know, firing between the gaps in the wall. Um, and you go through the, in the inner part of the wall city in York and the buildings still have that medieval look to them. You know, it's like a 13th century, 14th century city. But all the retailers inside have very modern stores that cater to tourists, a lot of really high-end retailers and some nice restaurants. But it was still cool, the old cobblestone streets. We went through the Shambles, which is this really narrow street through, the, through York. And it's like if you remember in the Harry Potter movies where he went and bought his first wand, well, that street we were on. And there's actually a Harry Potter you know, themed gift store there, which had a long line to get in, um, or I should say a long queue to get in. Uh, and it was cool. And we, we there's the, the, the York Minster, which is this old Gothic cathedral. And I love going into old churches because, you know, when you're in an old church, it's like so much art and so much history. And they're just so impressive when you're inside. But we, you know, the, the, the York Minster is open every day except Tuesday. 
And what day were we were there? We were there on a Tuesday, so we couldn't get in. Um, but it's just an amazing-looking church from the outside. So we did that for one day, and then after that, we drove up to Scotland. And you know, along the way, we stopped at Brambaugh Castle, which is right on the North, North Sea, which was really cool. And then we worked our way to, I guess Americans would say Edinburgh, because that's the way it's spelled, like Pittsburgh. But the locals say Edinburgh. Uh, so we were there in Edinburgh. And while we were there, we did a tour. It was um, Outlander, if you ever watched that show. Um, and that's a show that's, I don't know, what I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. And, you know, it's it was based on these novels. And it's about a, it's like a romance, but it also involves time travel, like it's a little supernatural. It involves uh, Scottish history, which is great. Um, and it's just kind of a neat show. I really enjoyed it. And uh, so we, we did an Outlander tour while we were there. And the beauty of these tours is whether you like the shows or not, it gets you out and about. And you've got, you know, a tour guide explaining all the places where you're visiting, which then gives you insight to the community. And so while we were there, we saw, what do you say, the, is it the Firth of Forth, which is the name of the bay that's there in Edinburgh. And they have these three big bridges that cross it. One of them that is like a clone of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, although it's like gray or silver instead of orange. Um, and then we went to, what was it? Um, Blackness Castle, which is this castle along the water, and walked all through that. That was awesome. And then went to this small city. It's it, the city is called Falkland, but it in the show Outlander, it's meant to be Inverness. Um, and you know, the, in that show, there's like a small, like little town, and there's this, I guess you call it a a column, you know, in, in, in a, in the middle of a roundabout in the, in the middle of a cobblestone street, which played a role in the, in the show Outlander where, you know, Claire and her husband, Jack went on a, um, on their second honeymoon. Well, we got to walk through that area, which is really neat. So you, you go to all these places that you see on the show and then you actually can experience it yourself, which was cool. And that was great with Peaky Blinders when we were in Liverpool. So we did all that. And then we, of course, went to the Edinburgh Castle and the Royal Mile and did a Rick Steves tour. You know who he is? Rick Steves is that travel guy on PBS, but he has all of these. He has an app, Rick Steves, with all of these guided tours. That you just listen to it's an audio tour and it's free. Um, so you download those. I mean, it's awesome. He goes into tremendous detail. He's kind of a little bit nerdy. But I love him. But you got to have a lot of patience because he is very long-winded and goes through a lot of detail. But I love him. So we did the uh, Royal Mile tour with the Rick Steves headphones on. And that was great. So and then we flew back. We got back Sunday night. Um, so I've only been back here now for a few days. The jet lag going there was rough. The jet lag coming back, not so bad. But my sleep pattern is still not back to normal, but it's close. But get this, the whole time, you know, we were walking a ton. We walked over 70 miles on that trip. It was, I counted, my app counted over 150,000 steps. Because, you know, when you're doing all these tours and you're moving about, I mean, just so much walking. It was so great. I ended up losing weight on the, on the vacation, which was awesome. Usually you go on vacations, you gain weight. Um, so anyways, that's what we did. And um, I don't know, I thought, I thought I'd share that with you. But I think more importantly, I wanted to share all the COVID stuff, the COVID testing, because, um, you know, it's topical and that's in the news. And it was hard to get there. 
to coordinate all of it, just to get on the airplane and to navigate the rules in the UK. But once you kind of made it over those hurdles, while we were there, it was easy peasy. Um, It wasn't so bad. You just had to wear a mask indoors. And it wasn't like a ghost town. You know, it wasn't like uh, stay at home orders. It was like almost like business as usual while we were there. And then, of course, we had to jump through some hoops coming back home. But it was easier to come home than it was to get there. Getting there was really hard. Um, Just getting all of our ducks in a row and the stress of everything that had to happen within that 48 hour window. But it was a great trip. And, um, and if you want to learn more about it and you want to co- ask me questions, feel free to you know, comment here or, or reach me directly. And in fact, if you want to do that, if you want to follow on social media, you can go to my website, johnreillyproject.com, or you can go to a special website that I have called connectwithjohnny.com. Connectwithjohnny.com. There you can see all the uh, social media platforms where we have, um, you know, all the links to, you know, continue the conversation in social media. You can also get on our mailing list there as well. Um, Matt Brandigan on the live stream says, yeah, you really did your homework. I couldn't have done a better itinerary. Yeah, we planned it out. And, you know, granted, there's so much more we could have visited, Matt. You you probably could have shared a lot of other great places to go. I would have loved to go to Cornwall. That was another show that I watched. Um, what was the name of that show? Poldark. Have you ever seen that one? I think that's an Amazon Prime show. That's a great show. Um, but that's out um, in the Cornish area. We didn't go there. Um, we could have gone to the, you know, I don't know what you, what you call it. Where you're, Is it Ipswich? You know, sort of. East and north of London. We didn't go that way, but we still had a great time. Really, really wonderful. Um, I think we concluded that the UK is a great place to visit. I don't know if we'd want to live there, um, but Matt, you would probably be the best judge of that since you're, um, you know, you're a British, um, you know, by birth and now live in America. You could probably tell us the good and bad of both, but we had a great time and I, I, I can't, uh, express how much of a great time we had. It was kind of a once in a lifetime trip, you know, definitely a bucket list trip. Um, but it was great. Okay. Um, gosh, we are at an hour and 25 minutes into the show and, you know, we've covered, um, already the 2021 big stories here in Poway Rancho Bernardo. You know, we went through that in the early part of this episode. We talked about the Poway Synagogue shooter getting um, the second life sentence. And we talked a little bit about the whole Poway Habad shooting. We talked a bit about more about the other big story in 2021 locally was the development in Poway. Talked a bit about that early on. Talked about the recall of Mayor Steve Voss, which was another one of the big show uh, topics in 2021. And then we spoke a little bit about the... Um, the wildfire damaged streets since Rancho Bernardo, the um, the sexually violent predator that was potentially going to move to Rancho Bernardo, and then the uh, the father son from RB that were killed when they pulled their car out of Poway High and got t boned. Those are the six big stories according to the Rancho Bernardo Journal and Poway Pomerado um, chieftain, um, the Poway News chieftain. So we covered those. Um, talked a little bit about shout outs to um, the Rise Resale Shop, T- uh, Terry Norwood and the good work she's doing. Um, talked a little bit about um, Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher and her, her stepping down and you know taking a role of leadership um, with labor. Uh, talked a little bit about uh, UCSD and San Diego State basketball and Rashad Penny and 
Um, oh, yeah. And then Kristen Vanderjack and the Normalized Money Project, financial education for people for free for people age 14 to 24. I love that because we need more of that in high school, more real life education, especially financial management. Uh, talked a little bit about Pastor Ray passing away at Maranatha. Um, and then, yeah, all the UK and the, and the, um, the COVID stuff. Now, I did have one more thing I wanted to talk about. And, you know, I may as well keep going, uh, even though I, this is an hour and a half in. But this last part won't take that long. And it's um, about the new laws in California for 2022 and how will they affect you? And there was a good article in the Palmerado News about this. And it was actually, you know, Palmerado News is owned by the Union Tribune. San Diego Union Tribune. And, you know, the owner of the San Diego Union Tribune also owns the L.A. Times, right? And so the L.A. Times, a lot of times we'll get articles that were written in the LA, for the L.A. Times that get syndicated in San Diego. Well, this one was went down one more level and made it to the Pomerado News. So it was really covered by an L.A. Times reporter, but it was really good. And, you know, every year, you know, there's always new laws passed and some of them are wacky. Some of them make a lot of sense. Some of them are fixing problems from old laws. But I just thought I'd highlight a few, you know, because I thought there's a number of them that were interesting. One of them is that health insurance companies now must offer free COVID-19 testing. And this for our family is a great thing because we just went to the UK and we had to pay for all that testing while we were there. Well, now we've discovered that we can get reimbursed for all of that. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds of dollars for these tests, you know, especially if you want quick turnaround PCR tests. So this is a big deal. It's a big win. Now, I think Kaiser was doing this already, but now it's a law that all these health insurance companies have to do it. Um, now there's also this rule that um, if you're protesting at a vaccination clinic, you got to have a distance to keep away from people, you know, to give them their space. And what is it? It's like 100 feet. But, you know, recently, I, was, I alluded to this earlier, there was a guy that was arrested for attacking people at a vaccination clinic up in Tustin. Some wackadoodle, you know, he's obviously an anti-vaxxer, but it was much worse than that. This guy was mentally disturbed. I mean, apparently he was pacing and rumbling and grumbling about vaccines and vaccination. And, and he was at the clinic and he eventually... You know, flipped the you know the silicon switch inside his head, flipped to overload, to quote the Boomtown Rats, and um, he ended up attacking these people at this clinic. And it's in Tustin. It turns out this guy's from Poway, forty three years old. His name's Tom Apollo. Like, oh my god, this is again Poway in the news for just crazy reasons. So, anyways, um, yeah, if you if you want to protest at a vaccine clinic, you got to stay. Over 100 feet away. Now, here's another new law that was put into place. And this one kind of bums me out. And this goes to a lot of the anti-smoking stuff, right? So for e-cigarettes, these are like electronic cigarettes. There's now a 12.5% tax on these things. Now, I get it where there's like people that are anti-smoking and there's a lot of no smoking rules. And there's a lot of people very hardcore about anti-smoking. I get it. But in my opinion, I've always thought that electronic cigarettes, these e-cigarettes, which have way, way, way less toxins in them, carcinogens in them, are a great tool to wean people off of cigarettes. I, have, I had a cousin that was like a two or three pack a day smoker and, and who ended up dying from cancer. Sad story. But in the latter 
parts of her life, she had converted to e-cigarettes. And she said she felt better. She was kicking the habit of smoking real cigarettes. So I've always thought e-cigarettes are a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, well, the anti-smoking people want to tax the hell out of e-cigarettes, and in many cases, ban them, just like they ban regular smokers. Well, now they want to put a 12.5% tax. I guess that's going to kick in on July 1st this year. That, that kind of bums me out. Um, other big stories or big laws that are going in in 2022, as many as four housing units now can be built on a single-family lot in some California communities. This all goes back to housing, and, and um, you know, we're already starting to see this, where people are taking a regular lot, and they're not just using it for one house. They're putting a granny flat in. In some cases, they're putting in a small apartment building of two, three, four units. Um, now, that's upsetting the hell out of neighbors in that local na- neighborhood, but it's allowing more housing to be built, which I think in the end is a good thing. Um, and they're going to re- make it easier to rezone areas near mass transit for more housing. That's great. Here's another crazy one. Um, apparently now removing – this is removing a condom. Removing a condom – without a sexual partner's consent can be punished as sexual battery under state criminal law. Okay. Okay. I I get it. I'm just perplexed. Like who would remove a condom in the middle, uh, you know, of, of having sex. I, that kind of blows my mind in the first place Um, because the whole point of using a condom is for safety and why would you be safe in the beginning and unsafe at the end? I don't know. But now, you know, now there's, it's, it's crim- there's more criminal liability if you do that, which I guess makes sense because, yeah, it could result in pregnancy or passing of venereal diseases or what have you. Um, oh, this is another good law that's passed in 2022. Judges can now order probation instead of time behind bars for more crimes related to the possession of drugs like heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine. So it's not like you're committing a violent crime. It's just that you are possessing it. Because possessing a drug, in my opinion, shouldn't be a crime at all because no one's getting hurt. You know, but if you're high on a drug and you're committing violence, of course, the violence should be the crime. But now they're relaxing some of this war on drugs, which I think is a good thing. It's going to relax the pressure on, on, on uh, prisons, you know, so we don't have a massive incarceration state. It's going to provide better opportunity for rehabilitation. That's a good thing. Um, so I, I'm happy to see that. Um, this is another weird one that caught me off guard. There is now no longer a distinction in state law for, quote unquote, spousal rape, which will be punished the same as any rape conviction. This is I had no idea there was such a thing. Like if you're married and then you rape your spouse, that's a lesser crime than if you're raping a stranger? That was weird to me. Um, yeah, of course, married people can rape another. <laughs> of course, uh, sex without consent is wrong. So it's I, actually, this is a good thing that this law was passed, but it was just odd to me that there was an exception made to this before if you were married. But I guess this goes back to you know, old fashioned rules about marriage and, and I get, you could probably go back to this whole thing about, you know, toxic, toxic masculinity is probably the root of all that. But 
that's kind of a weird one. But in the end, I think that's a good law that they've, they kind of fixed. Um, what else? Uh, California law enforcement officers can now lose their badge for serious misconduct, including excessive force, racial bias and dishonesty. That's good because we've seen so many cases of police brutality, police misconduct. And then, you know, typically the unions protect them. Now, they got to go a step further with this. I think they've got to remove, um, what do they call it, qualified immunity, I think is what it is, that a lot of times the cops, they commit crimes, but they can get away with it because they're cops. It's within the scope of their job that they're allowed to to take these actions, which for any normal person would be criminal. But they're moving in that direction of removing qualified immunity, but they haven't done it completely. But now there's going to be more accountability for police. That's good. Um, And... And you know, in the wake of the whole, um, uh, why is the gentleman's name? I can't remember. George Floyd in Minneapolis, you know, how he was choked to death. Well, now there is a law that makes that illegal if cops are doing what they call positional asphyxia. Um, and any kinds of excessive force, if there's witnesses um, to this, uh, to cops using excessive force, they can be held accountable. I think this is all really good laws that have been passed here in California. And now even law enforcement agencies now face limits on the purchase of military equipment. You, know, you see this now with cops. They've got tanks and all kinds of, you know, things that really are for the military, not for the police. Well, now there are limits. I mean, they shouldn't be allowed at all, in my opinion, in the first place. But at least now they're limiting it. So that's good news, too. So and then what else? Oh, yeah, the minimum wage now is $15 an hour in California. Unless you have 25 or less employees, then it's only $14 an hour, which to me is odd. Now, granted, they're making an exception for small businesses, but it's, it's just an odd exception. Now, granted, you see this in a lot of other states, too, where they make exceptions. In fact, when we were in the UK, they had a minimum wage if you were 18 and over, but the minimum wage if you were under 18 was like less than half of what the minimum wage was if you were over 18. That was interesting to me, too. Um, Yeah. So anyways, the minimum wage, of course, going up. And this is all part of this plan that was announced back when Jerry Brown was governor, that by 2022, they were going to raise the minimum wage up to $15 an hour. They did it incrementally, which is the right way to do it. Uh, So there's a bunch of other new laws that are passed. There's a couple other ones now. You know, this whole business about voting. Now vote by mail, where they mail ballots to everybody. They kind of carpet bomb the ballots. Now that's the law. It wasn't just, it was, you thought it was an exception just for COVID, but now it's going to be every year. You know, in the end, I think this is a good thing because it encourages more voting. And granted, I think voting to a large degree is overrated because your one vote doesn't have much impact at all. Um, you know, I, I vote because it's sort of more of a form of free expression, more so than I think my single vote is going to determine the outcome of any race. But in the end, I think more people voting is good. More people involved in their community and civic affairs is good. Now, granted, a lot of people that are concerned about voter fraud are probably really worried about this. And that's a legitimate concern. Um but even in the last election cycle, when they carpet bombed ballots everywhere, did they have proven cases of voter fraud in California? I'm unaware of it. My guess is they probably found some cases. Now, ironically, they're finding cases of voter fraud in other states, too. And, and, and they're very rare. But it seems like when they find them, it are Republicans that are doing voter fraud, not the Democrats. 
when it's the vo- the Republicans that are so worried about it, worried that the Democrats are, are committing fraud, which is ironic. What else? Um, if you're a volunteer for a youth organization, you have to go underground background, undergo background checks and child abuse prevention training. I guess it's probably good. I know that um, in order for us to be a coach um, for Little League, I remember we had to do a background check. And that makes sense. I mean, you're around small children um, and you're in a leadership position for small children. I, I, I get it. Um, and now child abuse prevention training is kind of the next iteration of that. That's probably a good thing. Um, California restaurants now can continue to sell to-go cocktails with food orders for the next five years. So this is an interesting one because prior to COVID, you know, you, you couldn't order a, a, you know, a beer or a, a gin martini to go. Not that anyone would. That seems odd. But apparently a lot of people took advantage of it through COVID. As long as you're not drinking and driving, it's acceptable. I'd be afraid I'd spill it or something crazy would happen. Um, but anyways, they made it legal and now it's going to be legal for the next five years. But it's weird. Why would you put a five-year time frame on it? Why not just do it, make it legal completely? Maybe they want to see how it goes. I don't know. But anyways, that's going to be allowed. Um, I'm just cherry picking a few of these that I think are interesting. Another one, restaurants may continue outdoor dining options where alcohol is served for an additional year once the pandemic emergency orders are lifted. Well, yeah, I mean, if you've got outdoor dining, you should definitely be able to have alcohol out there, of course. Um, But unfortunately, it's, you know, they're only letting it happen for another year or so. So, um, you know, there's a few other things, a few other new laws, but I just find it interesting. You know, it's a new year, um, new laws, and we learn about these things and maybe it impacts your life. Okay, so um, where are we? We're, gosh, we're at an hour and 40 minutes on this podcast. Now, you know, we do this podcast every Wednesday at two. Um, and I remember I did it at two o'clock because I didn't want to interfere with watching sports on TV because I used to, I love watching the Padres when they're in season. Um and and as as well as college basketball, but I've been wanting to maybe switch it up and maybe move this podcast to later in the evening because maybe we might get more participation in the live stream. I'm still thinking about that, but if you have any thoughts or comments, let me know. Uh, but we're still committed to doing this every Wednesday at two. I took some time off for the holiday season while we were traveling, but moving forward, we'll do that. I was doing these shows three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That was a lot of fun, but boy, it took a lot of time. Um. I might go back to that. We'll see. I definitely, as we get a little deeper into 2022, we will be doing more covering the local political races for sure. We'll hopefully have some guests as we have in the last two election cycles in 2018 and 2020. We had political political candidates were guests on this podcast. I'd love to continue doing that and and have them here in the podcast studio or doing it remote. Um we can do that now with the wonders of Zoom and other remote um, applications like that. So we'll be doing more of that as we get into 2022. But I want to thank you very much for listening. Thanks for watching. So what episode is this? This is episode number 263 of the John Riley Project. You know, follow us on social media. You can go to the website, connectwithjohnny.com, where all the links are there. You can get on our mailing list or you can go to the main website, which is johnreillyproject.com. There we got all of our 
podcast episodes. I've got a bunch of resources there to help people generate more leads for their business. Um, got a bunch of blog articles that we've written there, um, links to the YouTube channel. Where you see all the videos that we've done and, um, what else is out there? You know, just, um, uh, you, you can donate to the podcast project if you want to be a, a one-time or a monthly donor. We'd love to have your support, your financial support. You can do it there at the johnreillyproject.com. Uh, that's the website. You can get more information there. So um, we'll be back at you. Today's January 5th. So we'll be back at you Wednesday, January 12th. And you know, we'll be covering local issues here in the Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Saber Springs, Rancho Peñasquitos, Forest Ranch area, you know, the kind of the area that Poway Unified School District covers. Love covering topics here, topics in greater San Diego. We'll offer comments on some national and statewide issues, but I love having your support, your thoughts and comments here in the in the community forum, in the live stream. Always appreciate your thoughts. And again, thanks everyone for joining us and we'll see you again. Be safe out there, friends, and have a great new year. 2022. Um, hopefully we'll get through this COVID mess soon and we can get our lives back to normal. Okay, friends, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog, or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.